Hello, welcome to the inaugural Knowles 24-7 podcast. My name is Brendan Sinone. I'm the uh, Florida State football beat writer for Knowles 24-7, and uh, thank you for joining us on our on our first podcast here. This isn't a uh, us going to be a super professional venture. We're going to try to make it better as we go along, but this is something that people have, uh, a lot of our readers, you guys have been asking for for a while, and hopefully going to going to do a decent job here and kind of build on it as we go forward, but figured it was a good time to kind of test things out with spring spring football on the way. So uh, joining me today is uh, first Christopher Nee of Knowles 24-7. Uh, Chris, kind of the rock star of the website, does a little bit of everything, recruiting extraordinaire. Uh, Chris, uh, do, do me a favor, say hi, and uh, give, us, uh, give us your background if you can. Hey, everybody. Chris Nee here. Been covering Florida State for about 15 years now. Also covered State of Florida recruiting during a state with a previous company. Uh, with Knowles 247, do a little bit of everything. Hoops, football, baseball, recruiting, a little bit of everything. The, the previous company shall not be mentioned by name. Is that is that we'll, we'll move on there? Um, and then also joining me, Bob Ferrante or Bob, please pr- pronounce your name correctly because I keep trying to tie you down. You just will not let me pronounce it correctly. So please, for the audience, uh, once and for all. Well, for the record, I've heard my dad pronounce it two different ways. <laughs> um, I've, I've gone with Ferrante a bunch of times. I also just go with Bob to keep it simple. So. Uh, it's great that we're actually doing this. I know we've kind of talked about it for, for years. It's It's been years of procrastination that's gone into this this very effort here between the three of us. But it's cool that we're actually kind of going to do this. And uh, I guess I've, I've been with the Osceola since uh, 2010 and uh, back in the day when Tim Linnefelt was running things and working with the website too. So uh, we, we've enjoyed a kind of a long friendship and relationship with uh, – with Tim and Corey Dower and, and Chris and Josh and, and, you know, having Brennan on board in, in the summer. So it's, it's been awesome to have this group together and, uh, you know, looking forward to it. And you mentioned this has been something that's been in the works for a while. I think this was one of the first questions that, that was asked of me when, when I joined Knowles 24-7. I previously worked at the Orlando Sentinel, covered Florida State for a couple of years. And this was one of the first things that was asked of me is, is there a podcast coming? And I imagine you guys got that question quite a bit uh, beforehand, uh, before I joined too. So I'm happy that we're able to kind of do this. And again, we're going to kind of test test things out, play around with the podcast, see see how it goes. But you know, looking at it, it's just like a different medium for you guys to get your Florida State news. I know a lot of you don't have time to go to the Unconquered message board all the time. A lot of you do uh, have have it, and we appreciate you you joining us and adding your you know insights daily. But a lot of you don't have time to sift through things. So. Hopefully, it's just a different way for you to listen to things. Uh, we're we're going to try to get on iTunes shortly here. But like I said, we want to kind of get this going with spring football kind of starting. And with that, let's get into it. Uh, spring practice started last Monday for, for Florida State. And you know they practiced. They had three of them for uh, three practices for a week. And then kind of a weird schedule here. They go to spring break for a week. Jimbo Fisher, not super, uh, super thrilled uh, with having that, that break up in between. It's kind of weird. But I guess you know positively, you could look at it as saying there's you know, time to, you know, for some guys who start off the spring injured to get better, and maybe Florida State will have a better grasp of, of what its full roster, at least its full spring roster, looks like when it returns next Monday, which is March 20th. So, guys, let's start off, and I guess we'll start off with, with Bob. Your general thoughts on on the first week of spring themes, maybe maybe Jimbo Fisher's demeanor, just kind of what, what the first week your, your biggest takeaway was. I think Jimbo says it every spring, but I think spring seems to reinforce his happiness with the early enrollees. And he, he constantly says something like, uh, you know, we don't do like a good fishing day. We're not going to throw any of them back <laughs> or we have a job in evaluating. 
so I think that's that's kind of the number one thing, and it's kind of automatic that he says things like that. But um, you know, I think the other one that that you like to hear in general is this team is developing leaders on both sides of the ball. I think we knew last year, 2016, that they had defensive leaders. There were some questions about who was going to step up on the offensive side. It sounds like guys like DeAndre Francois are, you know, really comfortable in their role, for example, moving forward. So it, it's it's kind of tough with with three practices to get a good view of these guys. But I think you know happiness with with the infusion of good young talent plus some young leaders developing. I think those are two promising aspects of, of the first week. And Chris, you've been around through the entirety of the, the Jimbo Fisher era. I guess when, when you hear him kind of, you know, there's some Jimbo-isms. Uh, when you read between the lines, and I guess when you see you know, him at the couple couple post, uh, post-practice press conferences or you know, media scrums, I guess what have you kind of taken away from him? What do you think is kind of legitimate themes that are kind of developing you know, early on in spring here? Well, I think last year he spoke a great deal about it being a learning spring. Mm-hmm. You know, they were a very young offense, especially at the quarterback position. I don't feel like this spring is being treated that way. I think this spring is much more about taking a good team and progressing to be potentially a great team. I think that starts with quarterback position. They feel pretty confident in what they have with DeAndre. Obviously, there are some things he needs to get better at, but in general, he understands the offense. He knows how to run the machine. He understands the terminology. He's comfortable in what's being asked of him by Coach Sanders and Coach Fisher. I think the other big thing I took from the first week of spring is that some of the position battles that we highlighted a great deal in the preseason or prior to the spring preseason, um, those are things that are going to be kind of constants throughout. Left tackles, obviously, one. Ethan Fritz is kind of considered a starter there right now. But if I was a betting man, I wouldn't be betting money on him starting against Alabama. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's other guys we're going to see that are going to compete there. Josh Ball is probably the first name I would think of at that position. You're looking for replacements at certain positions. Marquez White's position on defense at corner. You know, you got a lot of guys who can compete there. Levante Taylor is probably one that comes to mind first and foremost. And then defensive end with Jalen Wilkerson. He's kind of a guy that's emerged a little bit as a potential big body DN that can set the edge to replace some of what Demarcus Walker did. I don't think they're going to have one guy that steps in and does what Demarcus did a year ago. I think it's going to kind of be a group effort with a lot of different body and skill types. You see Janarius Robinson, you see uh, Brian Burns, of course, Josh Sweat, of course, Kando, who's missed a couple days of spring so far, is another guy that I think will be in that mix. So you got a handful of guys that can kind of compete there and fill in that spot. So I think this spring's not so much a learning spring. I think it's about, you know, filling in a couple holes that are left by what left after last year, but taking a large majority, 17 starters, I believe it is, that's returning mm-hmm. and elevating them to the next level. And and you mentioned I think that's an interesting point, Chris, with with this you know last year being a learning spring. This one we keep hearing about accountability. Uh, you know, Jimbo talked about it the, the first day of spring before they had a press conference for for everyone to kind of catch up with him. And, and one thing that he kind of threw out there and volunteered was you know during the uh, the fourth quarter drills or the mat drills, basically the, the conditioning stuff. Uh, when you're talking about accountability, accountability. Uh, you know, they would basically give players different colored jerseys. And this is a story that, that Jimbo kind of threw out there. Everyone ran with because it was something unique and different. But, you know, basically for the guys who are given full effort or if the coaching staff, you know, deems it full effort, they get the garnet jersey uh, to wear during the fourth quarter drills. If they maybe have a couple loafs or a couple, you know, plays where they're slacking or, you know, uh, drills where they're slacking in, uh, white jersey. And if they're just basically not given uh, what they deem full effort at all, 
uh, an orange jersey, which, you know, orange in, in Florida State history, uh, whether it's Clemson or Miami or Florida, you know, just, just orange, not a great color. So interesting to me that Jimbo is kind of, you know, pushing those buttons of, of holding guys accountable. Because last year, like you said, Chris, the, we saw all in the offseason was kind of trying to get those guys mentally tougher. And we saw that that, that was certainly something that plagued that team early in the year was mental toughness, uh, guys not knowing uh, I guess how to step up in certain moments, uh, being soft at certain times. You saw the UNC game, the loafs or whatever. Uh, so, so now taking what they kind of learned and how they kind of figured things out seemingly at the end of the year, now applying it to, to a team that I think for the last couple of years, you know, Jimbo had kind of thought this 2017 team would be the one that could be, could be special. I, I think 2016 was one that, that could have been good if all the right things happened, that those didn't happen. This is the one where he looks at, I think is saying this is a talent to talent group, uh, so now with that in mind, Chris, you already kind of touched on the, you know, some of the position battles. I guess if you can shake it down to, to one position battle, Chris, um, what intrigues you the most and, and, and why that we're kind of starting to see uh, early on here in the spring? Uh, it's left tackle. Mm-hmm. You know, if FSU is going to be a great team, it's going to boil down to their offensive line being a great group. They weren't a great group last year. It's tough to even say they were really a good group last year. But if they can find something at left tackle, and I also think center is worth watching. Mm-hmm. And that front five is pretty good. If you can protect DeAndre, you can do something in the passing game. And obviously they have a stable of talented running backs. So the offense should be able to go. Jimbo can coach offense. That's one to find. We know that in his time here. So I think you figure out what you're doing on the edge there, you know, whether it's Fred, Josh Ball, another person emerges, the center position. You know, I'd truthfully kind of like to see Baby on maybe push Everly, if not take the job from him, just prefer more girth, more size, more strength in the middle there. Mm-hmm. I think those are two big pieces for them that if they're going to do something, you know, need to be figured out. And to add on the prior point about the jerseys during fourth quarter drills, mm-hmm. Jimbo talks a lot about fourth quarter drills. It's all about competition. And I think the jerseys were kind of too, there's no pe- pressure like peer pressure. Mm-hmm. And I think. By creating that competition, creating effort, forcing guys to earn the right to wear the Garnet jersey and not, you know, be diminished and put in that orange jersey. I think that's all about kind of creating a culture for this team of being an ultra competitive bunch that holds one another accountable. And obviously last year, specifically the North Carolina game, it can be fair to say that that group didn't do a good job of that last year. So I think they're trying to nip that in the bud before they ever get to the point of regular season. And, and so far this spring, uh, when we've talked to Jimbo a couple times after practice, he's been pleased with the effort. Again, it's only a week. Uh, this is far from, you know, kind of the grind time where you guys talk about the dog days of spring or summer, you know, fall camp. Uh, but he's been happy with, with the effort, if, if, if nothing else. And he's kind of said he's happy with other things, too. But uh, he wasn't always thrilled after practices last spring. And, and that's kind of when you try to read between the lines with the brief availability and the brief access that we, we get to see kind of an inside look of, of the program. Uh, he seemed to think that maybe that this team's turning the corner. At least that's kind of the general impression that that I've gotten. So, uh, but going back to the offensive line, uh, yeah, I agree. I think you look at you know left tackle. Obviously, it's kind of kind of I mean, that's kind of the, the the linchpin of of the front. And you talk about opening the season with Alabama. I mean, how realistic of there is, is there a chance that you have two redshirt freshmen possibly starting the offensive line against Alabama? And I know they lose a lot uh, with that with that. Uh, heralded front seven Alabama does but you're talking about maybe Bavion Johnson uh, is a guy that that so far has gotten good marks this spring and and Josh Ball is a guy who who, Chris I know you're you're pretty high on I mean is that at least kind of I mean do you go with experience or do you think Florida State's going to kind of just go with the best five I think going with experience is foolish especially when that experience didn't really do a very good job a year ago Mm -hmm. I understand throwing a guy in a fire especially 
a very intense fire known as Alabama. You know, they're probably going to have a moment or two where they freeze up, they struggle a bit. You know, they forget all the things that Rick Trigger's trying to beat into their head. But at the end of the day, they need to find the five most talented guys that give them the best opportunity of moving the line, moving the ball, running the ball, protecting the quarterback, giving them time. That can do that job. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not a guy that gets stuck on experience. I don't think Jimbo really is a guy that gets stuck on experience. He wants the better players to kind of come to the top. I think the important thing is for a guy like Babyon to take that next step, show that he's mentally prepared to handle the role of the center spot, which they always talk about the calls, handling the mic calls, you know, being prepared for communication with DeAndre and the offensive lineman. And then with the left tackle spot, it really boils down to a guy like Josh Ball, who has a boatload of physical ability. You know, he's a big, thick body, good feet, very athletic kid with good strength. It boils down to him being prepared to handle when it doesn't go well. You know, offensive linemen are great when they're able to block guys, but when you're facing guys like Alabama, you're going to lose some battles, and it's about how you respond to losing those battles that determine the outcome for you. All right, so so Bob, uh, we, we just kind of touched on the offensive line. I guess what, what position battle um, are you kind of looking at this spring? I don't know if it's the offensive line. Is there another group that you're kind of kind of curious to see how things at least kind of start to, to, you know, what kind of picture kind of takes shape here? Yeah, I'm in agreement with you guys. I think offensive line, left tackle being number one, center being number two, I I think we can kind of agree on that. Um, I'll just play a different card and, and go to running back because obviously replacing Dalvin Cook is uh, is a pretty huge storyline from just finding an offensive playmaker, a guy who can touch the ball potentially 25 times a game or, or finding two guys who can get those combined carries and, and also be a receiver on the backfield. So. You know, I think we hate to, to, to use the word fill the shoes of Dalvin Cook. We're not going to find that guy on on the Florida State roster. I think the important thing is just to see, is this the year, is this the time for Jaquez Patrick to finally step into a starting role full-time? You know, we've seen what he can do, for example, Syracuse in 2015, mm-hmm. where he was thrust in the starting lineup and, and played well against... Um, you know, an, an average defense, but a veteran Syracuse defense. I, I think Jaquez is a guy who we're going to see get probably most of the carries initially against a, a team like Alabama. And then the question is, is Cam Akers ready to take on responsibilities such as pass protection when he was often a, a quarterback or a wildcat quarterback in high school? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like everything I've seen of Cam Akers on film. But I, I just question how quickly he can be a consistent pass blocker right out of the bat, right out of the gate. So my guess at the moment is you'll, you'll see Jaquez Patrick start against Alabama, but but makes in a healthy dose of, of a guy like Cam Akers. And, and that kind of trend that'll transition us to to the next topic I was wanting to go over, and that's newcomers this spring. And and I think the all eyes are certainly on Cam Akers, a prodigious running back, a, the the most highly touted offensive recruit uh, in the Jimbo Fisher era. And, you know, Bobby say uh, that, that no one's replacing Dalvin cook. I don't think there's an expectation or if there is among the fan base, I don't know how fair it is for, for Cam Akers to be the guy that replaces, you know, FSU's all time leading rusher you know, immediately, I think in a couple of years, or maybe even, you know, as time progresses through the season, he's a guy that Florida state is going to look at to take more and more reps. And I think he has the potential to be that guy, but you know, I, I do think that watching 
spring practice, talking to some of the players you know, afterwards in the media availabilities. Cam Akers' name has come up a couple times now unprovoked. Uh, there seemed to be, you know, Derek Nottie mentioned him as someone that's kind of stepping up as a leader pretty early on. You know, again, he just kind of threw that name out there and he only listed a couple guys like a DeAndre Francois. He didn't list a whole bunch of different, different guys. And DeAndre Francois talked about his maturity. Uh, people around the program I've talked to have talked about Cam Akers' maturity. Basically said he's, you know, he's 18 years old going on 30. I mean, he handles himself very, very well for a younger guy. And then you just look at him physically, uh, he looks very very similarly built to how Dalvin Cook left the program. He looks like that as a freshman. doesn't necessarily you know, translate to success, but uh, I'm interested to see what, I guess, you know, how quickly, like you said, Bob, Cam Akers kind of acclimates himself to some of the nuances of playing running back, pass protection, excuse me, pass protection, uh, just kind of being patient as a running back. But the one thing I'll say that I've noticed about Cam Akers the first couple days of spring, you can see him around the football facility, Guys gravitate to him. Uh, you see body language. Guys are going around talking to him during in between drills, uh, giving him high fives, patting the back, that kind of stuff. He seems to be someone that kind of reminds me of, of when Jameis Winston. And I know that's big praise I'm throwing out there in the crossing positions, but you know he was kind of a guy that you know Jameis when he when he was younger kind of held you know he held court you know during you know during lunchtime or something like that. Guys gravitated towards him. I think Cam Akers at least has a little bit of that. I guess what what are your guys' first impressions of? of seeing Cam just kind of interacting with people, what you've heard about him so far. What, what are the expectations uh, for him, how good he can be, how early? Well, from the way he carries himself and the way he's treated by his teammates, uh, you know, he doesn't look like a guy that's only been here for three months. Yeah. Looks like a guy that's, you know, super well integrated, very well liked, uh, truthfully kind of respected, you know, and that's crazy to say when you haven't done a whole lot of on-field football activities or got to be kind of super respected. But I think Cam's a guy that you look at him, you know, physically, you know that kid puts in the work. You watch his film, you know he can play the game of football. You meet him. He's a very nice, respectable kid, intelligent young man who knows football, loves football, and kind of breeds football. And I think, you know, FSU has a family atmosphere. I know every school in the country loves to say they're a family, but FSU does go above and beyond on trying to be a family atmosphere where the guys do spend a lot of time with one another, running backs, hang out with DBs. You know, it's not like clicky. And uh, I think Akers is a guy that has quickly made himself at home with his teammates, and, you know, they've welcomed him with open arms. All right, Bob, do you have a uh, – so, we, so we've gone – obviously we're all going to focus on Cam Akers. That's going to be a huge storyline to watch the spring, this summer. Another newcomer, uh, one of the one of the other seven, I guess six other guys, and at this point we're not talking about Akers, that you're kind of you know, want to keep an eye on this spring, that you're interested to see their development, whether it's for the long term or short term, a guy that, that you're going to keep an eye on when you're out there, you know, for the brief practice sessions that, that kind of has caught your eye or that you want to focus on uh, a little bit more. I think a couple of guys on defense that, you know, it'd be – be interested to see how it plays out. You know, Stanford Samuels, you know, there's a lot of good talent in front of him at corner. It kind of looks like some of those positions might go to guys like Kyle Myers and Levante Taylor. But, you know, Stanford's got a lot of length and athleticism, height. Um, it'd be interesting to see if he can get in the mix there. He might not be a guy who's a day one starter, but, you know, do we see him at some point? Uh, sort of like Derwin James evolved, you know, middle of the year. Mm-hmm. Again, not comparing him to Derwin, but that's an option. Um, and and Kando, you know, we, we still have to figure out, you know, see how Florida State's going to figure out this this strong side defensive end. You know, are they going to have Josh Sweat over there? Is is somebody else going to emerge? Is it going to be a guy like Wally Amy? 
So I think we need to see how some of these younger um, weak side defensive end bucks are going to develop. We've talked about this a lot too on, on in stories on the message board. You know, Brad Long and FSU have been willing to use young defensive ends early. Yeah. Josh Sweat and Brian Burns have found success. Uh, you know, the, the blueprint is there yet again for a guy like Kando to maybe not start, but to see significant reps and to have an impact. So I think those are two guys who, again, we, we can't just focus purely on are, are these guys going to start right out of the gate year one, but what kind of impact can they have playing, let's say, 20, 25, 30 snaps a game, maybe? Holton. I'd add, I'd add that Bailey Hawkman's also a newcomer that's kind of stood out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's no way around it after DeAndre Francois. If it's his quarterback situation, it's pretty putrid. Um, and Hawkman's basically stepped in. I would be willing to bet he's arguably number two in ability right now. You know, he might be learning terminology, handling the offense, all the little nuances that come with it that a guy like J.J. Constantino understands because he's a veteran. But straight from ability standpoint, slinging the ball, you know, throwing it, Bailey looks the part, fits in. And, you know, I'd be willing to bet that'll catch up on the acumen part, the acumen part of the quarterback position at FSU pretty quickly as a coach's son and a kid that's, you know, had to learn offenses throughout high school. He comes from a quarterback-heavy family. Brendan wrote about that before uh, spring started. You know, I think he's a guy that I don't expect him to play year one unless there's injuries or something, but he's going to help them a great deal in practice and preparation just because he gives them a very good second quarterback option as far as getting the ball down the field, showing different looks, handling the offense, getting them in and out of things. That's a big thing for Bailey, I think, is is how quickly, like you said, the acumen, the, the understanding the the nuances of playing that position. And, and the one thing, like you said, Chris, his family, like his, his uncle was a quarterback guru, his, his grandfather was like a, you know, a, a basically like revolutionized, you know, the passing game and uh, Ohio football back in the, I want to say 70s or early 80s, and actually learned a lot about offenses from Bobby Bowden and came down to you know, some of the Bowden camps. And you know, later, uh, Bailey's dad is, was his high school head coach, and he actually you know, learned, was at the Bowden Academy and, and at times when Jimbo Fisher was there too when he was a, uh, a quarterback. So, so there's um, – or quarterback coach, I guess, at Auburn. So there's certainly a uh, – I guess a line you know, between you – know, a branch, I guess, between the, the coaching tree of Bowden's and a very you know, thin branch, but still one the same where, where Bailey Hawkins learned a lot of the same principles and kind of understanding what, what Bowden – what Bowden had had taught, you know, his his sons and his son, you know, Terry had taught Jimbo Fisher, and kind of all kind of connects there. I, I wonder how much that'll help Bailey get caught. I, I don't think, you know, how, how much that gets him caught up. I don't think any of us are looking at at Bailey Hawkman as being the, the true number two. Like if DeAndre Francois goes down for a quarter, like I don't know if you burn the red shirt on on a Bailey Hawkman, but man, that would be a luxury for Florida State if he kind of can catch on this spring and, and become a guy that at least. Be that that really good scout team quarterback in the air apparent. I'm not sure if he's if if he'll get there yet. Yeah, I think it's early on, but I'm excited to kind of see what what he does. And I think that that acumen that you alluded to, Chris, kind of helps helps him out. Uh, going back to Kando real quick. Holy crap! Like when when he when he walked on the practice field for their first time, I hadn't seen him in person yet. And I guess maybe you you may have seen before Chris in person, but I, as far as being ready to go physically, I mean he. He looks a part of a college defensive end. Like I don't know how much. Like Brian Burns, you looked at him and said, "Okay, he's a little skinny, but maybe maybe he has functional strength as a freshman. He can he can do something." But but Joshua Kando looks like a you know power five football defensive end coming in this spring. 
He's, he's got a little bit of creative player going on. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, a little bit of the the freakish uh, the freakish 99 overall kind of kind of build. Yeah, a little bit of that going on. Now he did he did hurt his well, it's a hamstring injury that the the first uh, first day of practice. Yeah. So that's something to monitor, and you know I don't think Florida State wants to push him, but but like Bob alluded to earlier, that he's a guy that you know Brad Line has found ways to get true freshmen defensive ends you know make some sort of impact the last couple of years, and. Uh, I think Kando has a really good chance to to establish himself early at some capacity, whether it's you know pass rush specialist. Uh, I know we talked about you know Jalen Wilkerson as a strong side defensive end. I'm not sure if Kando is a strong side guy. Uh, I do think though that when you're talking about the true freshmen, other than Cam Akers, I think Kando and, and Hawkman are at least the two that that kind of stand stand out to me. Um, so moving forward, we we talked about DeAndre Francois a little bit, and yeah, he kind of is the. You know, he, he's going into this as you know this spring as he now has a full year under his belt. You know, last year he was trying to prove himself. He was still trying to learn Jimbo Fisher's offense to an extent. It usually takes about two years for guys to pick that up, and that was you know his you know going into his redshirt freshman season. Uh, he now has you know a full two years of experience in Jimbo Fisher's offense. I guess what what differences do you think guys think that we can see in Dodger Francois or what have you seen even just from the you know, brief media availability we had with him? What's different about DeAndre Francois this spring than maybe say last spring or even the beginning of last season? I think DeAndre just, it feels more comfortable in, in his role and, and what, what he's asked to do. I think, you know, lots flying at you that first spring when you looked at as a number one guy and you're a redshirt freshman and, Maybe you don't know exactly where everybody's supposed to be lined up and what they're supposed to be doing. And I, I can imagine there were there were some moments where he wasn't really sure and, and confident in himself. But you know, of course, the spring game he, he looked like he was in full control. You know, I think it just takes time in this offense. You know, I still talk to people these days and say, you know, I remember when Clint Trickett told us after his first year on campus, he's like, that playbook is is so much and he didn't have any clue what he was doing even in practice I, you know so DeAndre yeah he, he doesn't do a lot great I mean there's still a lot of things we can pick on maybe that's that's we can we can pick apart and analyze what he doesn't do really well but at some point we have to say the guy had a really good redshirt freshman season you know not just statistically but teams that he helped put FSU in a position to beat. He was right there against North Carolina, right there against Clemson, you know, beat big rivals, Florida, Miami. The bowl game, I thought, was one of his better games, too. You know, this, this is a guy who, who could take that next step forward now that he's comfortable. And, and if he's really becoming a more mature leader, that's, that's something impressive. I don't know why there seemed to be a lot of people at the end of the year that were kind of sour on him and maybe it's just a vocal minority, but it seemed like at least people weren't thrilled with his development. Uh, Chris, did you see that at all or observe that at all? Am I just kind of, you know, listening to the vocal minority? I just thought there was kind of a pretty loud majority of the fan base that was kind of like, okay, what, what can he do better? I think people were picking him apart quite a bit. And to me, at least it was unfair for, for a redshirt freshman who I thought played pretty well throughout the year. Well, I think some of that boiled down to there wasn't a huge jump within the season of what he did. You know, some yeah. of the things that ailed him early in the season were still issues late in the season. But I think you also have to account for the fact that he got the hell beat out of him. 
didn't really have a very good O-line. And let's be honest, that receiving core that was starting for him prior to Nyquan Murray and on and Tate emerging, you know, they didn't exactly set the NFL combat on fire. So, you know, it, I think some of the skepticism with his game is fear. You know, there are things he clearly needs to work on and things he needs to improve on. But I'm a glass half full kind of guy with him. I think there's a lot of things he's very good at. I think there's some physical ability that's very special. I think the ceiling is still pretty high for the kid. You know, he needs to show development. He needs to take that next step. But I think he's primed to be a pretty good quarterback in this system, especially if the weapons around him are as good as I think they can be. And, uh, you know, for him this spring, I think the best way I can describe it is that there's a sense of serenity for him. Mm -hmm. He almost seemed calm and at ease and trusting of knowing what he's supposed to do and his role in this team and what he's supposed to be as FSU's quarterback, what he's supposed to be as a leader of the offense, what he's supposed to be with, you know, veterans on the offense and young guys on the offense. I think he understands his role a great deal. And now the, the key for him is simply allowing that physical talent to become well-rounded and the things he did struggle at last year, getting rid of the ball quickly, making good reads, hitting things in the flats at times, uh, you know, making the decision a little bit quicker, things of that sort is where he has to make an improvement. But I think a healthy, you know, not banged up, maybe not skittish because the offensive line is going to give him issues, kind of DeAndre Francois could be a pretty interesting thing to watch early in the year. And, hey, the bullet's going to fly at him day one. You know, he's going to go out and face probably the most difficult defensive front he'll see all year, you know, the first game. So I think we'll know what we have in DeAndre Francois pretty early in 2017. Well, I think there are two things that we've kind of seen. I hate to boil down like like a player's demeanor or, or growth and you know what we have in a five minute interview with them. But I thought when DeAndre Francois talked to us, you uh, talked to some of the media members after uh, after the first practice of the spring. Chris, I observed the exact same thing you said. That serenity, I almost kind of likened to like a CEO. Like it's a very professional kind of feel. Last year, he was kind of gruff with us. Just didn't seem like he really wanted to be there. He knows this is kind of an obligation. Like you go talk to the media. Like that's kind of part of your job. Is you are basically you know representing your team. You're the quarterback. And talking to other guys, that's kind of been a common theme. Is, is he's kind of trying to step up and be a leader. He's not a super rah rah vocal guy, but he seems to kind of understand that there's an accountability, and that's going to be a common theme. I think with Florida State is holding guys accountable. DeAndre Francois at least seems to grasp that. The other thing I look at, too, is Jimbo Fisher. Uh, Last year, we just kind of kept praising DeAndre, praising DeAndre, saying how good he was doing with everything. A little bit less less keen on at least throwing praise his way this spring. And I think with Jimbo, there are kind of certain things that are cyclical, things that he's trying to get through with, with different players through the media. I think he's holding DeAndre Francois to a pretty high level right now. I think he knows what DeAndre is capable of. I think we saw glimpses of it last year. Like Bob said, there's some really, really good performances that DeAndre had, and, and the strengths are, are certainly better than the weaknesses. So I think to me, like there's kind of you know this high expectation internally there for Francois that he can take the next step. Oh, is that next step from an above-average quarterback to a really good one, or is it you know from good to great? I think mean, that's kind of what this spring and this offseason are going to kind of bear is, is how he does as, as being that leader, uh, that guy that, that is more consistent. Uh, but I do think that there is certainly at least a pretty tangible difference in him that we've seen so far uh, this spring. Now, transitioning, and Chris, you kind of alluded to the NFL Combine. Uh, we're about a couple days too late with it, but I want to go over it real quick. Uh, and let's get your guys' thoughts on one takeaway from the Combine. And I'll throw this out there. Mine was, because, Chris, you kind of mentioned it, the wide receivers, the how poorly all of them tested. I mean, it just kind of shows, I think, what DeAndre Francois was working with 
for the first part of this year. Like, I don't know if Nooney Murray and Auden Tate are phenomenal or if they just look that much better comparison, you know, by comparison to guys who were maybe veterans and knew where they were supposed to be, but just not very physically gifted. I mean, Travis Rudolph, uh, all his measurements were not fantastic. Uh, Kermit Whitfield, good, but, you know, a guy who was supposed to be a track star in, in high school and, you know, known for speed, a four four five, which is fine. Uh, Bobo Wilson, nothing, again, fantastic. Like, I just – I know you can't put too much stock into the combine, but to me at least, that that's what was noteworthy is just the physical specimens that Florida State was trotting out at wide receiver last year. I, I knew it wasn't anything fantastic, but but it kind of disappointed me a little bit with when I saw their numbers. At least I was kind of surprised, and I thought that was fairly eye-opening with what Florida State was working with at the wideout position uh, for the last year and a half or so. I didn't take a whole lot away from the combine other than I was disappointed Roderick Johnson didn't work out. I really wanted to see what he would do, especially among a pretty weak offensive tackle group. I thought he was a guy that stood the best chance of improving his money, improving his stock. Just because that group isn't very good, isn't very deep, isn't very talented. But obviously he was down for the count with the sickness. Um, the receiver group we've kind of already hit on. I was just you know, underwhelmed by them. Kermit was probably truthfully the most disappointing one for me just because I thought he would run a little bit faster than he did. Um, and he needs to run a little bit faster because that is a commodity that's going to sell him as a prospect. Travis Rudolph validated for me that he probably should have gone pro. I know he's not going to get any taller, bigger, faster, but I think better stats, more consistency would have paid off for him. It's combine showing, just shows he's an eye receiver, and I'm not convinced he even gets drafted personally. Mm-hmm. Um, Cook, you know, people are disappointed with Cook's numbers. I don't really worry about that. His shoulder checked out. I thought the health check for him was very important. His film's so good that if you're going to draft him, you're going to draft him. If you're not going to draft him because of those numbers, you're probably running an organization like the Browns. Um, so, you know, beyond that, I didn't take a whole lot from it. DeMarcus obviously didn't do much. Marquez White, part of a really, really talented quarterback group. I don't think he made himself any money. I don't think he lost himself any money. I think he's pretty much what he is. But I think he'll get picked. He's a guy that I think has value for an NFL roster. Hopefully Joe Reedy of the Associated Press doesn't listen to this as just Chris sideswipes his uh, his franchise, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Bob, what are your thoughts on, on Dalvin Cook and the combine? I mean, it, is the stock, I mean, I guess we don't have intimate knowledge of what NFL teams are, are thinking. I mean, do you think that the people wondering about those combine times, do you think there's some legitimate concern? You know, is that concern legitimate or is that just going to be, like Jimbo said, just look at the tape? I know you wrote about that. Just curious to get your thoughts on, on whether that's something to actually be concerned about or, or not with, with what Dalvin ran at the combine with his agility drills and whatnot. I'm deeply concerned that the man doesn't have such a good vertical leap because that's what I really wanted in my running back is, is a guy who can just jump out of the gym. <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, I, I do put a lot of stock in the combine, but I, I, I'm kind of going to go where Jimbo's thinking and, and let's put more stock in putting on the film and seeing what the, what the guy can do. You know, Delvin, we, we know he can break tackles. We know he can bust off long runs. We know he falls forward. We know he doesn't really get tackled for any really significant loss, even when the run blocking is not great around him. You know, and, and Freddie Stevenson has done a, a pretty good job most of the time blocking for him, but, you know, to be honest, a lot of those times, Dalvin is being really creative and, and coming up with stuff on his own. Sometimes he's taking it where the play is supposed to go, and sometimes he's, he's finding his own, using that vision and finding something that he can do. So, you know, to me, he is the most well-rounded back in this draft. I think there are people who 
you know, they like Fournette for their reasons. They like McCaffrey for their reasons. Not taking anything away from him, but if I want a guy who can come in and be a back that can have 20 carries, who can have a couple receptions a game out of the backfield, we've talked a lot throughout his junior year about how he's improved as a receiver out of the backfield. He's the kind of guy I want on my team, honestly, and you know, I think he's gotten a lot of uh, Jaguar fans excited, a lot of Bucks fans excited up to both of those teams. I know it would be really early to see him go to the Jags, but you can kind of see why a player of his talent matches up with the needs of Jacksonville and Tampa Bay. And, and we'll, we'll debate for months, I'm sure, is he worthy of a top 10 or even a top 5 pick, but I, I don't think the combine really hurts Dalvin at all. Yeah, I'm of the belief that you know the combine's just a small, maybe like 10%, 15% of, of what you're really evaluating and throwing in there. I mean, the vertical jump, who cares? I mean, the bench press, he did well in. That's largely you know, useless. The 40-yard dash, uh, again, you know, not a great barometer. The agility drills kind of concern me, and that was kind of weird just because that was Dalvin's game was the ability to kind of, you know, accelerate quickly and, and you know find a crease and then explode through it and you know, he didn't really you know at least show that it didn't reflect what you saw in the game film versus you know what you saw in the combine and i think you know all that forces you to do if you're like an nfl evaluator is go back and watch the, the game film again and i think you're pretty much quickly reminded like oh yeah this guy is is pretty darn fast and you know dalvin's strength has always been his vision uh his his ability to run with tempo and kind of understand when to to hit a hole and, and when to kind of He'll be patient. He's really good with that. So I don't think it changes a whole lot. Uh, there were some mock drafts that had him, which could, you know, mock drafts are more fun exercise than anything else. Not really indicative of a guy's true, true draft stock. It only takes one team to love him and take him higher than anyone else to project him to go. There were some, though, that had him going in the top, you know, five. I think four to Jacksonville was the highest we've seen. I do think that the kind of the you kind of wonder about his potential now to where I don't think you'll see him going to four anyways. But I don't think that was uh, realistic anyways. I always thought in the middle of the draft was where he would go in the first round. Uh, now I think you're going to kind of see that anyways. At Tampa Bay at 19 or wherever the Bucks pick, I think that's right. Uh, I think that ends up being you know kind of more his range between 15 and 20, which realistically, like a running back, uh, that's probably where a running back should go in today's NFL. So I don't think he really killed himself either. I'm kind of in agreement with you guys. Uh, I guess you know, we'll transition, uh, finish up with football talk, go on to hoops real quick. We're filming on a Sunday here or recording on a Sunday. Uh, NCAA you know, tournament field will be announced in a couple hours, so we won't get too much into Florida State hoops and, and where you know they're going to be playing or those matchups. But, but just bigger picture, guys, uh, your thoughts on the season, the ACC tournament, and I guess what constitutes as a successful season, a satisfying season, and I guess what, in your mind um, – you know, would be disappointing at this point. You know, what, what, where do you draw the line of like, okay, Florida State, you know, this is a good season and everyone should be happy, you know, based on where things end and, and where is it kind of a line of uh, maybe a disappointment, you know, if they get bounced at a certain place and, and then still tournament? Go ahead, Bob. Well, I think if we look back at this one, let's say November 1, going into the year, if you said Florida State has 25 wins, was projected anywhere from, I think some of the preseason polls had them at 8, 9, or 10, finishing in the ACC, and they finish two. I think you'd say, man, that was a really, really good year. I mean, that was something that, one of the best seasons that this program's ever had. You know, good coaching job by him. 
And unfortunately, you look back on it from March 12 to what they did. You say, well, damn, they were unbeatable at home, 18-0. But on the road, this team was just unbelievably bad starts, poor defense, uh, inconsistent. Bacon was off early, on late, trying to rescue him at times. And, and so it, it, it really leaves you with kind of a glass half full, glass half empty feeling. I, I think in general, we just, you know, we'll see how the draw comes out in a couple hours, of course, but I, I like what this team accomplished. I, I like that we saw some chemistry develop. You know, we've, we've seen improvement from the start of the year with a lot of these young guys. I think the first couple of games, for example, I saw CJ Walker and thought to myself, I don't know if this is a guy who can help them year one. And, and I was clearly wrong. He was a guy who could play some substantial minutes. So we did see improvement and development from young players. So you have to take the positives with the negatives. Maybe I think that's, that's my biggest feeling is um, you're, you're left with a little bit of mixed feelings overall. It's an interesting case study and, and just expectations versus, you know, what you start with versus, you know, how, how things end. Like, yeah, if you say that this team is going to be number two in the ACC, finish with, with 20 something wins and make them to the tournament at the beginning of the year, you're, you're happy with that. I think it's maybe the way they've, they've lost games. I guess, Chris, what are your thoughts? You've covered this team, you know, extensively this year. Um, what are your thoughts on just kind of the perception around the program right now? And I guess, what do you deem to be a, when this season does end, like what leaves you feeling like, okay, this is a good, a good end to the year. And what leaves you thinking that maybe, maybe it's a little disappointment for, for you as someone who's covered the team pretty closely all season. Well, I think uh, for me personally, the team exceeded my expectations. I thought they'd be a tick better than last year, which would be essentially a bubble team. They're clearly not a bubble team. You know, they finished second in the league. But you look at they started 6-1 and one in league play. They basically went 500 on the back end of league play. You know, they have warts. They can't win on the road very effectively, which is difficult for everybody. But it's somewhat how they lost on the road and some of the people they did lose to on the road specifically – Georgia Tech, which was sort of an outlier, and Pitt, where they just didn't bring any effort, which was downright disappointing. Um, you know, the biggest takeaway I have on this team, truthfully, is that I feel like Dwayne Bacon was good this year, but I feel like he leaves me wanting more. Yeah. And it, it's aggravating because Dwayne's an incredibly good athlete, very talented guy, can score in a multitude of ways, worked really hard and improved his jump shot, has been a pretty good teammate at working alongside his teammates but there's times where he checks out on defense and there's also been times specifically that pit game where he sort of just checked out on the whole game and, and the shot selection too sometimes right like that's just kind of been been crazy at times this year too yeah and the amount of i don't want to call them garbage points because they were within striking distance and comebacking winning games but he had games where he collected garbage points for lack of a better term mm-hmm. and uh i just I feel like they walk in the tournament, they're going to destroy somebody's bracket because you're going to pick them to be one and done. I, you know, I think they'll win their first game. Who knows if they'll win their second game with the way they've been away from home. That also depends a great deal on matchups. But at the same time, you know, if the team that we saw basically from about the end of December, December 28th, 31st is when they played Wake in Virginia to, you know, January 24th, I think it was. I think that's the last day before they played Georgia Tech. If that team shows up, you know, the team that plays good team defense, gets in a transition, kind of just bombards the opponent, 
rolls off the bomb squad and drops some threes on their head. You know, they, they can kind of shatter the confidence of an opponent, and they got away from being that team consistently in the back half of the season. You know, if that team reappears, and hey, they can make a run. They can, you know, they could be an Elite Eight, Final Four type team. I think they're capable of that. They've got enough talent, enough depth. You know, they've shown flashes of being capable of playing really good teams, Virginia, Duke, uh, Notre Dame at home, Louisville at home where they can do that Miami in both games. They played them fairly well, especially the second half down there. They were ultra impressive in the second half down there. But at the same time, we've seen them be a pretty bad team. Pitt and Georgia Tech, for example, on the road. Notre Dame at Notre Dame in the second half. They kind of got blown out of the building. Um, you know, I, they're kind of skittish. I mean, I, I'm not going to walk away from the season disappointed in what they were. They made the tournament. They finished second in the ACC Winning a tournament game will be a nice thing after what they've been for the last four years. But they kind of teased us in early to mid-January with what they were capable of being and, you know, making some, including myself, think they could make a true legitimate deep run in the NCAA tournament. And as we're on the eve of hearing the tournament draw, I'm just not convinced of that. You know, I think barring a really good matchup that's beneficial and favorable to them, it would not shock me if they don't get out of the first weekend. I'm kind of on the same page with you, Chris. I think that they're... You look at them, they could make a run to the Elite Eight and maybe Final Four, and I don't think anyone's shocked if the things match up right. But then I think you look at they could get bounced this weekend, you know, upcoming weekend, or maybe even the first game, and you're not shocked either. And you can say that about a lot of teams around the country. A lot of the, the teams are going to be in the upper half of the bracket. Uh, but it's just been kind of kind of interesting to see the ups and flows of this team. And you mentioned you know, January 24th or so, you know, late January is when this team peaked, and it's been, been a while now. And I think now what we've seen in the past month or so is kind of Know, what the reality of this team is and that's you know if they get hot they can they can go and they can beat anyone in the country but you know you could also see them losing the game that they're really not supposed to and and i think you know you kind of hit the nail on the head that this is a team that is probably going to screw up a lot of people's brackets in one way or the other so uh, i guess next time we have the podcast we'll uh, we'll be talking about florida state's uh you know ncaa tournament uh birth and i guess where they are and depending on how soon it is uh maybe they'll still be around or maybe maybe not but uh, I think that'll conclude the first episode here of the Knowles 24-7 podcast. Uh, it's a working name, too, so if anyone does have any suggestions, uh, maybe we have a contest or something like that to to try to find a, a better name, although I'm, I'm fine with Knowles 24-7 podcast. But anyways, uh, thank you to everyone for listening to the, the first edition here uh, of the podcast. I'm happy that we were able to, uh, to get it running here, and uh, hopefully we'll have uh, more in, in the future and kind of work out some, some kinks. So thank you for bearing with us. Uh, I'm Brendan Sano with Knowles 24-7. Thanks to Bob Ferranti and Chris Neat for joining me. Uh, We'll talk to you guys in about a week or so.